Hello and welcome. You're listening to Epic Podcast, Emergency Preparedness in Canada. My name's Joshua. And I'm Grayson. The date is June 13th, 2018. And this is a conference review episode entitled So Inspired Right Now, a review of the IAEM Canada EM Leadership and Innovation Conference. In this episode, we'll be sharing some of the key messages and learnings from the speakers at the inaugural IAEM Canada Conference, as well as some of our personal aha moments and pearls from emergency management practitioners. We'll also be discussing how some of these issues relate to broader trends in disaster management and areas which require a lot more work. All this and more on this episode of Epic Podcast, Current Relevant Canadian. So if you're not aware, this month on the 7th and 8th of June, IEM Canada hosted its first ever EM conference in Calgary entitled Emergency Management Leadership and Innovation. And our very own epic host, Grayson Cockett, was on the scene. That's so right. how was the uh, conference, Grayson? Uh, it was it was great. Um, Greg Selecki, the president of IEM, and his team did a great job of putting together uh, this conference. For me, it was great to see a mix of industry and uh, sort of the public service agencies as well. And I have to admit, I wasn't sure what I was going to be able to take away from the private industry side of things. And the answer was a heck of a lot. (laughs) So there were a lot of interesting learnings uh, from the way that private industry does things to the capacity that they can bring to the overall response or overall uh, uh, disaster management efforts. Excellent. Well, interdisciplinary is definitely the way to go. What uh, uh, what stood out for you the most? Who are some of the speakers that made the biggest impact? Well, the the very first speaker, who is uh, Mar- Marco Byron from Schlumberger, um, had some really interesting points uh, on how he has experienced the the impact of disasters on his agency and his organization, but also how he's been able to sort of give back and leverage globalization uh, to disaster response. And and the example that he gave that was that during Hurricane Harvey, uh, Calgary, his Calgary office stood up a call center to help relieve the stress from the emergency uh, operators in the States. Um, so really providing capacity through that uh, globalized connections and, and leveraging their own abilities to help out. You know, in, in a lot of ways, I think um, uh, private industry is light years ahead of uh, the public sector in terms of their ability to mobilize resources quickly. And uh, I was at a talk uh, at a conference a few years ago from uh, Home Depot talking about their supply chain management programs uh for planned disasters like hurricanes and it was pretty impressive they've definitely uh, had a lot of experience and they're good at what they do Uh, on that actually the the capacity that's out there is astounding and one of the sort of key quotes of the the conference came out of one of the question periods uh, and we have this tendency as the agency in control to try and control everything to try and solve every problem and do every activity Uh, And instead, maybe we just need to be asking ourselves the question, who does this every day? And the example was brought up from, it was an Australian example, uh, is that we needed, the agency needed to uh, coordinate a door knocking campaign for evacuation, and they didn't know how long it was going to take. And they asked the question, who does this every day? And the answer was posties or the postal workers 
right? Uh, they walk these routes every day. They know exactly how long it takes to go from door to door to door. And they brought those that capacity into their response and, and solved the problem with private industry or an extending agency at the very least. Oh, excellent. Uh, what else stood out for you? Um, <clears throat> there were other talks about recent events, uh, most notably, I think, uh, the Las Vegas shooting. Um, there was a, a, a talk called One October. Uh, it was from Ryan Turner, who's the uh, division chief of emergency management for Henderson County, so not the county that was directly impacted or most impacted, rather, um, but very close by. And he shared some of his very personal stories about the immediate response. And what stood out for me was how important tactics are in the initial phase of a disaster and how important that pre-planning or, or training really is. Uh, we tend to approach disasters from a, a bit of a top-down analytical way. So you think about what problems you're trying to solve and you, you come up with your, your strategies and objectives and, and tactics are often left by the wayside. But before command and control has been established or before the incident has been stabilized, the only thing that matters are the tactics that have been trained uh, into the, the responders or into the public. So that was sort of an interesting takeaway for me. Uh, and also from that talk what were some things that I hadn't considered. Uh, I, I work in the healthcare industry and I really hadn't considered the impact of uh, that fifth phase of blast injury. So that idea that not only are you going to be damaged by the shrapnel and the blast wave, uh, but potentially there's going to be some body substance contamination as well. Uh, and the impact that that might have on prophylactic resources in the, in the treatment of, uh, of body substance exposure, or even just the decontamination needs that, that might occur in even a non-hazmat um, mass casualty incident. So th those were sort of my aha moments from, from that talk. Did you um, get a chance to see uh, Desiree Mattel Anderson speak? I know she's a yeah. fellow disaster podcaster. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, really interesting talk. Um, a very flip the script, uh, think outside the box individual who, who brings uh, just a problem solving lens to any sort of activity, but in this uh, particular instance, disaster response. Um, and a lot of these speakers, you came, you came away just thinking, oh my gosh, there's so many other opportunities out there or other agencies that I could involve or other ways to solve the problem other than what I've been trained to do or, or uh, the system that I work within. So that, that was really refreshing. Yeah, I think her former title was Chief Innovation Advisor when she was working at FEMA, which That's is pretty right. cool. That's right, and also Chief Wrangler. Yeah, Chief <laughs> Wrangler and Chief Innovation uh, Advisor. Pretty cool. Uh, awesome. Other uh, FEMA bigwigs, uh, Craig Fugate. That's right. Uh, this was the one that I, I was really excited about. I mean, who doesn't want to hear Craig Fugate talk? If you don't know who Craig Fugate is... Uh, you should probably just stop right now and do some Googling. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's right. So he was director of FEMA for many years. Uh, I, I don't think that another human being has de been deployed to more disasters than than this guy. Um, and again, I don't know what I was expecting. I think uh, maybe some very formal, you know, thousand yard stare, just big picture thinker. But 
totally down to earth guy. It was he was uh, just great to to listen to, and he had come up with these seven deadly sins of emergency management, all of which resonated with me. And if you haven't heard this talk before, you can find it on on YouTube. Highly recommend it. But in a nutshell, the seven deadly sins that he covered are uh, number one. We plan for what we're capable of handling. So we can only see beyond our own horizon. Uh, and we don't really stretch the limits of imagination. We just see what we've got and try to use it. His number two, we make too hard to do into annexes. And the example he gave was in a lot of our plans, we have the plan for uh, managing evacuation. And then, ooh, people who are in wheelchairs or mobility challenge or mm -hmm. have uh, language challenges, we're going to put those people into an annex. Oh, and then people with pets, they can't really go to the same um, uh, reception center or people. And the list goes on and on and on. And before long, the annexes are the people that you're planning for. And the original plan is now meaningless. So uh, if you've got more than one annex, then maybe you might want to reexamine who you're actually planning for. Yeah, that is a sin that I've personally seen in many emergency plans. And I, I have to admit, I might have even fallen victim to it myself. <laughs> yeah. What are the rest of them? Uh, number three, we exercise to success. Uh, so we all go home feeling like we've done a good job. And unfortunately, that's not always the case. So he, uh, his, his big quote of the, um, of the conference was, uh, break the system. So viva la revolution, uh, make sure that you <laughs> have people fail in a controlled environment. So if your exercise was a success and everyone did their job, that means that you didn't, you need to stretch them. You need to make them fail in that safe, controlled environment. Um, number four there was we think our emergency response system can scale up from emergency disasters. So this old myth that disasters are just big emergencies, we know is not true, but yep. we still tend to treat disasters as just, we just need to do more of the same thing instead of something different. Number five, uh, we build our emergency management team around the government leaving out volunteer organizations and private and public. This is something we've talked about a, a fair bit is incorporating spontaneous volunteers and something that really was echoed in the conference. And I think something that might be on the verge of being overcome as a, as a deadly sin uh, is incorporating private industry or volunteers or the capacities that exist. Who does this on a, on a daily basis? Uh, number six, the ever so famous treating the public as a liability. Yeah, and by extension, I would like to add the media, right? Here. Certainly. <laughs> How do we yeah. deal with the media? As <laughs> The media is the public. <laughs> you need to work with them effectively. Yeah, and then the seventh one, it was a bit of a head scratcher, and I don't know how I'm going to incorporate this into my own practice, but his observation was that as a society almost, or as a culture, we price risk too low. Mm -hmm. So we cannot drive change if, for example, we continue to pay for recovery. We cannot drive change if uh, we don't truly recognize the costs involved in the risks, not just what's happened, but what could possibly happen. Uh, and as a result, we continue to grow risk. A perfect example of that is continuing to rebuild in floodplains or yeah. hazard prone areas. Um, but pricing risk too low is the way that he put it. And I, I thought super interesting. So there you go. The seven deadly sins in a nutshell. Craig Fugate did it better. Awesome. Yeah, he was, definitely has the reputation of being a disruptor. I've had the chance to see him speak uh, uh, once or twice now um, 
uh, and I think the first time I was down at the Orlando IEM conference uh, uh, years ago, but uh, yeah, definitely left his mark on FEMA and fundamentally changed the uh, culture of that organization for the better. Um, all right, so you've been to lots of conferences, uh, as have I. What uh, was this a, a you know similar experience or different from your average uh, disaster conference? You know, uh, it was really refreshing to see that private industry lens. A lot of the conferences I've been to are, are very academia heavy. Who doesn't love academics? Yeah, I know. That being said, I would I would like to see in the next uh, IAM conference a bit more academia, a little bit more okay. of that evidence lens. And I think maybe a little bit of an opportunity for students in the future, uh, whether it be the poster competition or those breakout sessions, uh, really to, to do some live mentoring of, of great ideas with limited experience or li limited knowledge. So that's that's what I'd like to see. The theme this year was leadership and innovation. So I think they were going for, um, you know, kind of the motivational, inspirational impact. Do you think they uh, made the mark? Yeah, personally, I was very glad that it ended on a Friday because I was ready to to tear the system down and, and make change. and what, So I had the, the weekend to <laughs> mellow out a bit and remember that, uh, you know, you need to temper that with a little bit of um, practicality and pragmatism. And you had a uh, epic podcast booth. That's right. I am was very kind to let us put up a, a little epic podcast booth. Uh, it looked a little silly, more like a high school science <laughs> fair trifold next to some of the amazing uh, displays in the, the, in the uh, booth IBM area. booth had its feet. That's right. We were pretty close to the IBM booth, and uh, <laughs> we didn't stand up to it. Uh, however, we did have an idea board on our yes. little booth, and we gathered some great ideas from uh, the conference goers, and I would expect to see some of them on our show in the future. Can you give us a few previews? Coming up on Epic Podcast, I would expect to hear from uh, someone who it would dealt with the debris management during the flood. And debris management is something that uh, is present in any disaster, and yes. there's a real art to it. So I'm I'm excited to, to hear about that. How many times do we have to redo a debris management plan? <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, we, we also uh, had some ideas around training scars, so examining the impact of ineffective or wrong training on actual response. Some other ideas uh, around uh, different topics of resilience. And then one of the things that I'm excited to, to hear about is the uh, NATE program development. So we've been doing some profession and practice episodes. And uh, the Northern Alberta Institute of Technology is, is coming up with their uh, revamped program for emergency management. So I'm excited to hear about that. Awesome. If you had to give us uh, your number one take-home point, what would it be? I'll give you three. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I was collecting quotes throughout the, the conference. Uh, we'll start with number three. Number three for me has to be a break the system. You know, use with caution, but uh, thinking outside the box and pushing to failure was a, a real take home for me. Uh, number two had to be the one I've mentioned a couple times is who does this every day uh, and using capacity, using that question to to find capacity instead of um, experience some scope creep or some some sort of paternalistic the agency uh, thought traps. And then the number one came with only minutes left in the IAM conference. Uh, it was really the closing quote of the conference um, and has to do with maintaining focus on, on what you're actually managing and what you're actually doing your job for, and that's the people. Uh, and the quote is, it's not about us without us. So 
maintaining that engagement and participation of the public. Excellent. Well, we hope to uh, keep everyone updated um, with our full conference uh, schedule uh, and and keep an eye on our Twitter feed. We tend to uh, retweet um, most of the uh, big conferences in Canada and also in our news episodes. We'll be keeping up to date for future conferences. In the meantime, we have some big news to announce for the show. We uh, have our first sponsor. So we've officially joined the Alberta Podcast Network and very happy and excited to have done that. We're joining up with a group of other um, very engaged and enthusiastic and and talented Alberta uh, podcasts uh, who all kind of work collaboratively. So um, uh, Epic Podcast, now official member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Yeah, and if you like this episode, uh, you might want to check out uh, A Branded World as part of the Alberta Podcast Network. And specifically, there's an episode featuring Scott Crockett, who uh, works for the Chamber of Commerce in Calgary, and does an interview on crisis communication during disaster. So a different lens on what is essentially the same thing. Uh, Also of note, um, the Alberta Podcast Network is powered by ATB. uh, And if you don't know about ATB, it has lots of great programs, uh, and if you want to make a difference for a cause that's important to you, one program you might want to know about is the ATB Cares program. Uh, so ATB Cares lets you increase the impact of your donations, uh, so if you donate to your favorite charity on atbcares.com, uh, ATB will cover any associated fees and add 15% to your donation. In 2017, over $4 million was donated to charity through ATB Cares, and it's a great way uh, you can support a worthy disaster-related cause. That's right. So we're excited to be a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, uh, which, as we mentioned, is powered by ATB. Uh, so look forward to some future collaboration, and uh, we'll hope to share some of the great work that's being done by other Alberta podcasters. And that's all for this episode of Epic Podcast. Uh, if you'd like to find out more or get in touch, you can email us at team at epicpodcast.ca, send us a tweet to username epic underscore underscore podcast, or visit our website at www.epicpodcast.ca. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an Epic Podcast production, a proud partner of IAEM Canada, the International Association of Emergency Managers. As always, Epic Podcasts are designed as a supplementary educational tool for the EM professional, and the views and opinions explored during this podcast do not in any way represent the agencies or organizations that we or our guests may be a part of. For more information about the show or the people on it, visit our website at epicpodcast.ca or follow us on Twitter by searching Epic Podcast. And finally, a big thank you to all of our contributors and to you, our listeners. Please stay tuned for the next episode of Epic Podcast. Current. Relevant. Canadian.